If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would open with me to Psalm 139. This morning, uh, as we have watched uh, what has happened in this past week, and as I turned in my outline for Mark 10, Jesus on Marriage, uh, on Tuesday when I turned it in, I had no blanks to put down on the sheet of paper. And it bothered me a little bit because I knew it would bother a lot of y'all a lot bit to not have blanks and a blank sheet of paper. But it turns out the Lord knew what he was doing on Tuesday night when I did not have blanks to fill out because uh, we will not this morning talk about Jesus on marriage, but we will instead turn our attention to Psalm 139 and looking at what has happened in our nation. Again, this week as things came out as they did, um, I began to write just a little bit to share with you this morning at the beginning of our time, just to give us some words of encouragement, and those five minutes turned into 10 minutes, turned into 15 minutes, turned into our entire sermon time. And so I, I pray that this is an encouragement to you. I pray these words are helpful and instructive for us as we go through this time. So there you've got a complete blank slate for you to take notes or write down what the Lord would draw your heart to. I don't find it coincidental that this week, as we were enjoying a week of vacation Bible school in which nearly 600 parents, preschoolers, kids were in the hallways of our church learning God's gospel truth as teachers were pouring into the hearts of the youngest in our church and faith family. As I rounded a corner from making a phone call and heard one of our incredible preschool workers humming the tune of Jesus Loves Me over one of our young, irritable preschoolers who just simply would not go to sleep. As I saw the church rally to love and care for our church preschooler and children's, it was under that backdrop that we received the news that the Supreme Court had overturned the Dobbs case and would return the legality of abortion to the state's meaning that many states have already enacted laws to prevent abortion and legalize or make abortion illegal. And Alabama will be one of those states where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives will be saved instantaneously. And in that, we rejoice. But I want to pause in the midst of this discussion because I know it makes some of us squirm and it makes us uncomfortable to talk about such things in the church. And I also want to pause in this moment because I recognize that if statistics were to hold true, the statistics about abortion were to be accurate, that there are many in this room and who are watching online right now who have either sought after an abortion, who have paid for an abortion, who have encouraged others to seek after an abortion. And in that, I recognize that the discussion about it or this week's court case about it could bring up and would bring to the surface many an old wound and scars that are deeply troubling. Abortion has been called the silent killer because it both takes the life of an unborn child, but it also usually leaves deep and abiding scars in the life of the mom that take a lifetime to overcome. And so it's with that that I want to speak with the most grace and compassion that I possibly can. I pray that you as a church, you online, hear my words speaking with as much grace and compassion as I possibly can muster. I want to speak to you who have had an abortion, who have contemplated an abortion, who have paid for an abortion, who have brought someone to take someone for an abortion. I want to remind you that God's grace is sufficient 
It is real and it is ever present. I want you to know that we as a people stand here as people who have been saved by God's abundant grace. I've told you many a time that we have family that lives at the beach and so we often go to the beach and I've shared this story with you before but I want to share it again because it's a reminder of the God that we celebrate and we sing to and that we worship and who we have all been welcomed at the foot of the cross to. That from a young age, I have enjoyed going to the beach and enjoyed uh, picking, out, picking up water in those baskets and taking them up, making sand castles. I've oftentimes walked into the beach house with my feet full of sand. And at, at no point as I walk into the beach house with my feet full of sand, much to the frustration of all the adults into the room, have I ever thought that I need to get sand and pull it off and bag it into a Ziploc bag and take it back to the beach because there's a fear that the beach may run out of sand. At no point when I'm scooping up water in those pails to make sand castles do I ever wonder or fear that it's possible that I've gotten the last bucket of water in the ocean. Now what we all know and recognize is that ocean, as far as the eye can see and as far as we can travel down to the depths of the ocean, there is water abundant for everyone who would come to the water of the ocean. That there is sand as far as the eye can see and as far as the feet can walk. There is sand everywhere to be found. There is water everywhere to be found. And your little bucket full of ocean water does not in any way exhaust the ocean that is before you. And in the same way, we recognize God's abundant grace. That I know that if God can save a sinner such as I, and I don't say that flippantly, or God can save just a sinner like me, I'm your preacher, I don't do that much wrong. No, no, no. If God can save a sinner like me, if we as a church have been praying earnestly for 10 months that he would save an arsonist who tried to burn our church down and believe with every fiber of our being that God can indeed save a church arsonist, then we simply believe that God can have his abundant grace available, free and abundant to you. And so I believe with every depth in me that you who wrestle with believe and have the scars of who wrestle with could God love you after such a thing. I can confidently say from the truth and the clarity of God's word that yes, he can. It's what he does. It's who he is. And I want to be equally clear about how God feels about abortion, but also who God is in his truth of grace in the gospel. And so as we walk through this time, be equally clear of God's view of abortion, but also how a loving God views you in the gospel. That all who call upon the name find the equal ground and equal footing at the free and fullness of God's grace. And here in this church, you will not find a wagging finger of condemnation. You will find open arms to welcome you into the fellowship of God's grace because we are all in need of God's saving grace in our life. We wouldn't be here if we didn't need God's free and abundant grace. So let's just meet there right where we are, recognizing that we are all equally in need of God's grace. So with that compassionate, grace-filled heart, let's take ourselves to Psalm 139 and just spend a moment looking at these words from the psalmist of David to our hearts this morning. Before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, we need your guidance. We need your leadership. We need your grace on our hearts this morning. We need compassionate lips. We need grace-filled hearts, Lord. 
Would you teach us the wisdom of words, the wisdom of actions that we would live as people who have been changed and marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ? That, Lord, we celebrate the lives that will be saved. We also recognize that there is yet much work to be done. So teach us, Lord. Give us genuine, pure hearts. Give us a motivation that stems from your gospel work in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we turn our hearts to Psalm 139, let me read this for us, and let these words hit your heart in the truest of forms. The psalmist David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Even that is staggering. Even that is staggering that over the billions of people on this earth, the intimacy by which our God knows you, that he knows you're rising and you're lying down, that you're not just one in the mass sea of people. He knows how intimately you, when you rise up and when you lay down, the intimacy by which our God knows us, that he knows our sitting down and our rising up. He discerns our thoughts. He searches out our path and our lying down and are acquainted with not some of, not a portion of, not just the big decisions that we make. He is acquainted with all of our ways. Feel that for a moment. That the God of this universe is acquainted with all of your ways. Think of the intimacy by which the God who flung the stars in the sky knows intimately you. Not just as a whole, he knows you individually, personally. He hears your prayers. He hears your cries for help. He knows you intimately. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind me and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. Amen to that. How high it is that when we begin to think about who this God is, that he would know all this stuff. It is so lofty, so high. At some point you just say, it's too much to even think about. It hurts the brain to think about how lofty and high, how much his knowledge, how unsearchable his ways must be. Where shall I go, verse 7, from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Ask Jonah, is there anywhere that he can go where God is not? Is there any place that we can go to flee from his presence to know where you are? Is there a place that you can be where God simply is not? Of course not. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be about me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. And you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, your eyes, Lord, saw my unformed substance. In your book was written every one of them, the days that are formed for me when as yet there was none of them. 
Think for a moment the depth of God's handiwork over you, the intricate nature by which he wove us, you together, in your mother's womb. That you are not some cosmic accident that simply appeared here one day. That you are lovingly and fearfully made by the creator of this universe before your eyes saw anything. God saw you. Before you had a thought in your brain, the Lord knew you and the number of your days. Before an ultrasound would reveal your arrival to your parents or before a sonogram would see your face light up a screen in some room, God knew you and knew the number of your days and he was intricately weaving you together in your mother's womb. Before we uttered a cry or opened our eyes, Before an ultrasound saw or we heard in heartbeat, God knew, God saw, God crafted, and God created. As technology has advanced and we have begun to see these sonograms that are absolutely fascinating to look at. We've seen God's handiwork as the body begins to form an ID and a body is sucking its thumb as it winces and pain is felt. As Brittany lay on that little table to look at our little kids, it was fascinating as the technician would poke the belly to find the kid in there. That oftentimes the Micah, Helen, Anna, Nora in the womb would turn and move because trying to avoid that probe hitting on the belly. That that baby in the womb is moving around, averse to pain, sucking its thumb, heart is beating, organ is formed. What we see on that screen reminds us of what Psalm 139 makes clear and plain to us. If we continue on, Psalm 22, 9 through 10, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Psalm 127, verse 3, Truly children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Friends, as a culture, we have not seen children and life as a gift from God, as a reward, as a precious gift from Him. We have devalued life at every level of life. From the moment of conception to the moment that we pass on from this life, we as a culture have not done a good job holding to the sacredness of life from the womb to the tomb. That we hold that every child, every person is an image bearer made in the image of God. We recognize what God tells us at the very beginning that every person is made in the image and likeness of God. That is why we recognize Psalm 127 that children are a gift from the Lord. That they were made in the image of God. That we are not just simply some created being that walks on the face of this planet. We are not simply an animal or cattle. We are made in the image and likeness of our God. This is why we have celebrations of life. While we celebrate all life from birth until death. You also see in Luke chapter 2. As John the Baptist meets Jesus in the womb. Before John the Baptist and Jesus are brought forth from the womb, what do you see happen in Elizabeth's belly as John the Baptist leaps for joy that John the Baptist did not begin to be John the Baptist when he emerged from his mother's womb. Jesus did not begin to be Jesus when he emerged from Mary's womb. No, in the womb, they leapt for joy at the presence of one another. 
that my three kids did not begin to be my three kids the moment they emerged from the womb in the hospital room. They were my kids the moment of conception. And so we see in Psalm 127 the joy and the preciousness of the gift of God. And even in Galatians 1, Paul recognizes this when he says in Galatians 1.15, but when he had set me apart before I was even born. Paul recognizes all that Paul had been through, walked through, that he had set me apart before I was even born. Before there was a number of life on this side of the womb, there was a, a, a day in which God knew who we were and he called us by his grace. At the core, I pray that we see as a church God's deep and abiding care for us. The intimate knowledge and nature that we carry as image bearers. And so with that, we look at and what has happened in our world. And Gregory Kokel, a theologian and philosopher, would say, if the unborn is not a human person, then no justification for abortion is necessary. If the unborn is not a human person, then there is no justification for abortion that is necessary. That if it is simply a clump of cells, that if it is like an appendix or a kidney, that it can be removed with no consequence and there is no, no necessary justification for abortion. And we have seen over time as science and sonograms and all sorts of things have reminded us what we clearly know. But we would say if the unborn is not a human person, then there is no justification for abortion that is necessary. But on the flip side, if the unborn is a person, if the unborn is a person, then there is no justification for abortion that is adequate enough. That that baby is not just an appendix or a kidney. It has its own fingerprints, its own blood type, its own organs. And so with that, the, the primary question that often arises is, is, what do we do? What do we do as believers now that in Alabama, the abortion is illegal, now that across the nation there are questions raging about the legality of abortion, then what do we do in Montgomery, Alabama at First Baptist Church? What do we do as believers now that this has become a cataclysmic decision in our culture? What do we do? And so let me give us just some practical words. But let me also not say that this starts with today is the day that we start. Can I tell you that for years upon years upon years upon years, the church of Jesus Christ and believers have been on the front lines of ministry to mothers and expecting moms and all sorts of whole life approaches to life. That This is a knock on the Christian church, but it's simply not true. That believers are on the front lines having crisis pregnancy centers throughout the United States, throughout Montgomery. That believers are two times more likely to adopt children than unbelievers. And can we do more? Of course we can do more. Of course we can do more to stand up for life. Of course we can do more in all of these avenues. And I would gladly receive that. And we always can do more. But to say that we only care about a mom to give birth and then we care not more after that is simply untrue. As we look back, and I'll just give you some encouragement to what this may look like, this past year, we graduated seven from our first class of mentorship for those who are walking through the uh, opportunity to abort or those who have decided to give birth. 
Seven, we're trained through our church to be mentors to those moms and dads who are thinking of getting abortion, are thinking and decided to keep their kids so they can walk beside them to encourage them, to love them, to meet needs, to help them and walk beside them. This past year, we graduated our first class of seven. And in August, we will have our second class. And I would encourage you to pray about what it would look like for you to be a mentor to a mom or to a dad who is abortion-minded or who maybe decided to keep their child and are now walking forward with their child, wondering what to do, how it's all going to work. They need believers to walk beside them. So I would encourage you and pray that in August that you would sign up, take the class, and be a part of mentoring. Already of those seven, half of them have walked beside and mentored parents or those who are considering becoming parents. I would also remind you that our Caring Center ministry gives out hundreds and thousands of diapers and wipes a year, helps families with gift cards and financial assistance, encourages young families when they have needs. Our Caring Center does an incredible job. And yes, it could do more, but it is on the front lines even today. And I would encourage you, send diapers, send wipes, send onesies, send cribs. We will take them and we will give them to families who are in need. It's what we do here at our church. So I'd encourage you, consider donating, consider giving to the Caring Center, consider volunteering, walking beside those who are in need. I can tell you, because I've seen it, diapers, wipes, food, clothing, gift cards, financial assistance, families stepping up to the plate to help families who are in need all the way through from birth until their final days. I would also encourage you, consider looking at ministries like Alabama Baptist Children's Home. When you give to our church, we give to the Alabama Baptist Children's Home through part of the cooperative program, and they are helping foster and put uh, kids in homes constantly. Ministries like Lifeline are doing incredible work through adoption and foster care, and at that. Church, I want to tell you that I am praying that there would be believers that would rise up amongst us who would take the call to adoption and foster care. Already in our midst, there are incredible families who are adopting and fostering and doing an incredible, incredible job in our midst, fostering and adopting children. There are others who are in process of adopting and fostering at this very moment. There are others who are taking classes to become certified to be a foster parent, to be an adoptive parent. And I would, with everything in us, pray that the Lord would open your heart, that you would be open and receptive to the reality that God may be calling you to adopt or to foster. We know James 1.27 tells us that religion that God our Father finds pure and undefiled is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And so church, would you maybe pray about what it would look like for us as believers in the Big C Church to take the problem and the issue of fostering and adoption and orphans off the page in Montgomery. That you would earnestly seek the Lord's face and say, Lord, are you calling me to adoption? Are you calling me to foster? Are you calling me to be a respite family? Are you calling me to encourage a family who is adopting and fostering? There are incredible ministries in our city and in our midst that are doing a fantastic job. And I thank you to the families that are on the front lines of this ministry. And I pray the Lord would rise up more in our midst who would take the calling of adoption and foster care and pray that the Lord would lead in all the right ways.
There are also a smattering of incredible volunteer ministries, crisis pregnancy centers, and all sorts of wonderful ministries in our city that many of you are actively engaged in at this moment. I would pray and encourage you, donate, give, serve, help those incredible ministries. And for years at 6 o'clock, right across the street from the abortion clinic, pastors across our city have been praying earnestly for the end of abortion. And so I would ask you to continue to pray Pray for our nation that is divided. Pray for those who are struggling with these issues. Continue to pray. And for our last few moments, I want us to do specifically that. So would you join your hearts with mine as we conclude this morning simply by praying. Lord, we want to stop this morning and simply cry out to you, Lord. Lord, as we join our collective hearts together, Lord, I want to pray for those who this past week has been a reminder of a past. I want to just pray that you would overwhelm them with your grace and your love and your mercy and your compassion. Or that they would be nourished by the truth of your word that you would heal the scars and the wounds that they have experienced. That we as a church would come alongside to love and care for. Lord, I pray for those ministries in our city who are serving. Lord, I pray that you would supply their needs, that you would bring more, that there would never be an empty shelf when there's a need for diapers and wipes and formula and food and clothing and cribs I pray for those in our midst today who are wrestling with the call to foster and to adopt. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear and plain in their hearts. Lord, I pray that they would open the doors. I pray that we would all pray about what it looks like for each of us individually to stand for life, both at the moment of conception, but all throughout life, that we would stand up for the rights and the needs of those who are weak and those who are vulnerable. That we would value life as made in your image, as image bearers. Where we celebrate life. We celebrate life from the moment of conception to the moment of death. Where we pray your wisdom upon us that we as your mouthpieces would speak with such grace and truth and love and compassion. It is not a moment of gloating in our country. It's a moment of compassion and grace and love and kindness that we would walk forward as believers humbly seeking to demonstrate the adoption that we have found in you as adopted sons and daughters that we would humbly walk with you, that we would demonstrate that what we have learned, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but you have made us alive together with Christ. That we would recognize and hold true to Psalm 139 that you knew us even before our days were counted on this earth. So Lord, lead us, guide us, show us the way, Lord. Fill us with your Christ-like love and compassion. We desperately need you, Lord, to show us the way. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen.